Chapter 1 Journey to Another Planet Millions upon millions of innocent people have gone off to war. I've never heard of anyone who returned innocent. I suppose there's always hope it could happen, because hope is one of the big three mentioned in the Bible. You know, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That passage is normally read at weddings to assure the happy couple that their chances are better than average at beating the odds for divorce. I'm a big believer in hope. I hope they make it as I say words like forever until death do you part. I try to ignore the nagging thought in the back of my head that keeps screaming, or until it's too inconvenient to put up with each other and you decide to be unfaithful. You know, forever until then. Pessimistic, I know, and I fight against it. When my sarcasm mixes with the harshness of reality, it can either tip me to bitterness or wrap me up in a protective blanket of humor that makes the difficult times more bearable. The strength of the hope I have in any given situation tends to be the deciding factor for which side I land on. You see, even when life and people disappoint, hope never does. Even if what you're hoping for doesn't actually pan out, you have a good run of positive anticipation for whatever it is, and that fact alone feels pretty good. Hope gives a great handhold on life, even in the sad times when your fingers ultimately get slammed in the proverbial door. In fact, if they do, with hope you can instantly begin hoping the pain will go away. And that little bit of light helps in facing dark times. Me? I'm a soldier in the United States Army who's been secretly hoping for orders to deploy once again. Now, don't get me wrong. It's nice being surrounded by all the familiar settings of home. Wife, children, pets, friends, and places soaked with memories only you know about. I call this environment life on earth. Life on earth is great, but maybe that's part of the problem. For a soldier who's become accustomed to being torn away from his or her earth and sent to war on what seems to be an entirely different planet, everyday life on an otherwise great earth can sometimes be a little too great to handle. Great wife, great kids, great manicured lawn by contracted workers in my great government-provided house and neighborhood, convenient shopping at the military exchange discounted for soldiers, and a great church with all the latest songs, instruments, and electronic gadgets bringing faith to you through the best subwoofers money can buy. In fact, they don't even mind if I wear sandals and a short-sleeved floral pattern shirt at my church as though I were relaxing on the beach. That might be a good slogan for my church. Come and relax. We'll wake you up in an hour or so. That's why I was hoping for orders again. Because away from the greatness of Earth, on a foreign planet filled with suffering and sorrow. Strangely enough, I find I actually put faith, hope, and love into practice the way it was designed to be on a regular and much-needed basis. When I'm on Earth, I hope I get a good parking spot so I don't have to walk all the way from the far side of the church and end up being at the back of the line to get to the coffee pot. On a distant planet, mine being Iraq, I just hoped I got home for the privilege of getting to see that stupid coffee pot again. In fact, I think I'd walk a thousand solar systems just to get to smell the aroma of that coffee pot. 
which on earth was only one more inconvenience to have to wait for. On earth, things are simply the objects they were created to be, and life can turn into a chore to be accomplished. Deployed to a different planet, they transform into the very hope and inspiration that make Earth worth fighting for, surviving for, and coming back to. Something I've learned away from Earth is that fear breeds hope. I don't mean the I'm afraid I left the garage door open or forgot and left the stove on fears. I mean the I don't know if I can survive one more day in this environment fear. Literally. If the nightmares don't overrun your hastily put-together fortifications, then the monotonous daily grind of a soldier's life that keeps exploding into a bad dream will actively seek to tear out all semblance of peace, order, and security from your daily existence. And sustained fear, by necessity, has to kill you or give birth to the hope that life will make sense again once you get back to Earth. The only problem with this hope is that it's like the odds of the till-death-do-us-part line at the weddings. It sounds wonderful, and the exceptions that get it raise our hopes that we'll all get it. But oftentimes, the hope has grown so strong for the earth that's remembered that the earth we actually come home to inevitably pales in comparison. Earth is still great, but not exceptional. Green, but not verdant. Blue, but not breathtakingly so. A great earth, but all in all, a disappointment that doesn't measure up. Until it's back in our memories again, when once more we've left the safety of our earth. It's like the coffee pot at the church, when the last thing you've drunk in close to three days is muddy water near the boiling point. The mental image of that coffee pot is pure silver, dispensing liquid gold. Its percolating steam is the fragrant incense that God shows up to church to smell before tucking the congregation in for their naps. When it's not actually before you as a regular, everyday, tangible object, it becomes a beacon of hope. It has to be left to be missed, but when it is left, it often feels neglected or gets used by too many other hands. But that's just a coffee pot I'm talking about. I think. As for me, I've got it great on earth. I have a faithful wife with a patriotic heart and the determination to love and support me when I'm on a different planet. She becomes my beacon every time, my golden-haired angel waiting with our cherubim children, witty and smiling, intelligent and perfect, my heaven waiting for me back on earth. But it's not like that with everyone. Some of my fellow soldiers hope with all their hearts to have what I have. I am the bringer of hope. I am the exception that keeps the gamblers throwing the dice. I am proof that not all deployed soldiers become victims of people coming out of the gutters back on earth to drain their precious coffee pots dry of every last drop of hope contained within them. Well, thankfully... The process of deploying away from Earth is always filled with enough excitement of its own to have to worry about. On each of my deployments, we were inundated with classes, training, and super important briefings that were mandatory if we were going to be able to get shot at properly. You need to write down your escape plan in case you're taken prisoner. 
The concept being that if I escape, I will, for example, walk toward whatever sun the planet has during the day for two days, and then walk with it at my side for the next two days, and so forth. So when a rescue party comes to save my once-captured backside, they can estimate my general location based on my predetermined escape plan. I never remember what my plan is, and I never seem to factor in the very likely scenario that the first day's travel, at least, will be done at a full-fledged panic run to create as much distance between myself and my former captors as possible. Life is in the details. Hope is in the chance that they'll figure out where I'm at despite what I've forgotten to do. So for a month or two, we'll all as soldiers in the unit in one form or fashion initiate our own escape plans from our lives on Earth. For several days, we'll walk face-to-face with family, family members and then tactily shift to walking beside them in daily affairs. Then we'll distance ourselves through various means such as work, meetings, fights, silence, and other nefarious stratagems. And then it finally arrives. We load up, full combat kit on, the ships that will soar through space and take us thousands of miles, years, and planets away from our beloved coffee pots and other such earthly possessions. This isn't my first mission to another planet, or my first combat experience. Heck, the salt and pepper flakes in my receding hairline say it's a wonder it's only my second. But missions like these age even the most resilient among us. That's why the military can sell to the government that soldiers need their food to be cheaper and tax-free because of the great sacrifices they make on behalf of a grateful planet. I think they bought off on it with the hope that we might not live as long as civilians and so won't be that much of a financial loss in the long run. It works out that way some of the time. And so a decent retirement benefit package for soldiers is also the dangling carrot that keeps us running. Everybody knows somebody who knew somebody who actually made it to retirement. And this somebody is living the good life on some tropical earthly paradise beach with suntan bikini beauties tending to alcoholic beverage orders and hanging on to his every word. Starry-eyed at a combat veteran hero in their midst, each begging to hear another war story where he single-handedly saved an entire planet by his heroic actions that earned him this or that scar, which they are all too ready to massage for him as though its ache reawakened just with a telling of the tale. We all become that guy when we're on another planet. We all have stories rehearsed we're going to tell. Those of us who make it back tend to forget those stories when face-to-face with cameras back on a great Earth that still isn't quite exceptional enough to have earned the right to hear the heart and soul of our day-to-day experiences on whatever foreign planet we've just returned from. Earned. That's a word, isn't it? It's a hard word with built-in respect. Not given. Not taken. Earned. That's why soldiers become family after a year away from Earth together. They've each earned the right to be good enough to be family. Families often don't earn. Therefore, excess family members who aren't absolutely necessary to keep the dream of hope alive when off Earth 
are cast quickly and violently out of the circle of trust and familial relationships. They become her family, your family. We're going to see them again? The difference is what was earned. I find I love a lot more soldiers than I personally don't like all that much. More than I like relationships I used to love before joining the service. The difference is what was earned. Like them or not, they've earned my respect one long trip after the other. One tear-stained cheek at a time with hand on window as the ship slowly rises away from desperately scared spouses and children clinging to each other. Earned. Last time, I was with a group of docs and medics, combat surgeons in the bloodiest regions of the fiercest fighting in the known universe. Gory stuff. Weird humor, too. I remember a surgeon handing me an entire leg he had just amputated from a 19-year-old soldier. I turned to put it in the overused red bio bag of crushed hope when he pulled it back to himself. Thinking he still wanted it, I went to hand it back to him, Maybe he had thought of some way to reattach it. Maybe this kid would have the chance to get a scholarship at a college the military paid for and actually be able to walk across a stage on his own two legs. Hope. It's like an aphrodisiac. Seeing the hope in my eyes, the doc smiled and said, No, go ahead and throw it away. I was just pulling your leg. Bunch of jerks, a lot of them. But I love them. They earned that much from me. This last time was different. Instead of being in a hospital, I was joined with the military police. They are the keepers of the worst of the worst, a containment force extraordinaire. Their motto is care, custody, and control with dignity and respect. A tall order when the detainees they hope to apply that motto to are the kingpins of cruelty, captured by strategic strikes from the special forces, especially to get these ones and twos away from their networks of mass chaos. These detainees truly are the nightmares that small children fear are coming to snatch them away at night because they were mean to their siblings or refused to eat all their vegetables at dinner. Those that were captured were placed in the most secure facilities that could be constructed away from Earth and set to be watched by the roughest, toughest cops in the universe, whose soft and well-smoothed motto seems strangely at odds with the scarred, lifeline faces with hardened, tired eyes who recited it. The hot planets are bad. Cold planets are worse. I have too many twice-healed breaks and injuries that pulse to the surface when they get cold. Nope, I prefer the hot planets, but they're still bad. This particular one didn't cause my leg to ache, ever. I think it was way too close to its sun, and there was no escaping its strangling, dry heat. It seeped into living quarters, choked out, the overworked air conditioners, and chapped everything chappable. Sunglasses were a permanent fixture day or night. The only difference was a clearer dark lenses. You needed them even at night to keep the sand from erasing your pupils one hot gust at a time. I wasn't sure I even owned a dry t-shirt anymore. Every time I put one on, it was instantly soaked with sweat. It was like a blanket you couldn't take off. Have I described it enough yet? It was really stinking hot all the time, everywhere there. And that's where these soldiers are in their pay. While walking in the stifling desert heat of Iraq, I would 
often pretend I had actually survived to retirement was just taking a stroll on the beach. And as I would pass by other heat-sapped officers and support staff that were no doubt daydreaming about their own planet Earths and private beaches, I would picture them in swimming trunks with bright white smears of suntan lotion on white pasty desk-ridden bodies. The illusion never lasted long, however, because invariably I would look up and see my fellow soldiers hunched over with the full weight of their body armor and full kit walking to the transports that were going to take them to the vaults where nightmares were kept. And the dream of beaches would wash away, leaving only a dry, sandy taste on my chapped lips. I'd really like to tell you that I was a member of the elite special forces, or that I was the hardcore grunt always silently carrying the brunt of the load in combat. But I can't steal glory I haven't earned. One day I may retell the glory I've seen my brothers and sisters in arms achieve and remember them like they were mine while I'm reclining on my own private retirement beach. Maybe. But right now, that glory is for those who've earned it, one long day after another. My job in the military is a little different than most. I'm a joiner. I get attached to different groups for different missions and end up going native with them for a few years, whether that's on Earth or on another planet while deployed. When I lived among the combat medics, I became an honorary combat medic. And when I was restationed to a military police battalion, I earned the privilege of being treated like an honorary MP because I lived, sweated, cried, and hurt as one of them for several years. Joiners like myself never stay more than two to three years with any particular unit, then are switched around to entirely different groups. That's why I've served with docs and also with MPs. Who knows? Maybe on some future go-around I'll get lucky and join some paper pushers right next to an all-you-can-eat 24-hour-a-day dining facility with a great big silver coffee pot that's always full. <sighs> Hope. I love it. Many joiners I've met seem not to like each other very much, but tend to love and to be loved dearly by the various groups that they're joined to. There are different kinds of joiners, cooks, medics, supply personnel, engineers, and others. As for me, if you couldn't tell by my cheery disposition, besides being a soldier, I'm a chaplain. That's a fancy word for the bringer of hope. I remind soldiers that when the bottom drops out, and the worst of the worst has imposed itself upon the best of the best with tragic consequences, that God has not forsaken them no matter what it feels like. Now, this is supposed to be a combat story taking place on a different planet, so you as a listener may be expecting me to tell you about strange alien gods I discovered while on my journeys within the heretofore unknown universe, or about the reasoning and logic the world had used to finally discover we are our own gods. Perhaps you might think my exposure to multiple combat experiences had revealed there are no gods, and that science is the only hope for understanding the cruelty and ultimate randomness of eternity. Well, first, I'd not be a very good bringer of hope if I said that either you or I are the gods we need to have hope in. Second, it's only the ones who have considerably far more faith in the presently unsubstantiated than I do who 
would claim to be in such an enlightened state as to have achieved inner godhood, or to assert the claim that eternal peace can be found through faith and science. No, I'm just a regular sinful person desperately in need of a savior who just holds stubbornly on to the belief in the truth of the Bible, even when it's difficult to do so. I believe God still exists, still loves us, still doesn't like sin. Sin. There's a word that can get me fired. Who am I? Claim the enlightened ones to decide what sin is. If some choose to do the exact opposite of common sense living and engage in acts that defy even a cursory knowledge of morality and proper hygiene, and I dare to ask the obvious question, what in Iraq were you thinking? I become the object of ferocious crusaders for equality and liberalism, and the ultimate erasing of anything resembling a standard of any kind. So, I tend to engage in fierce combative battles and subtly play sarcastic wit. I win at least as much as I lose. Sarcasm is a weapon I become a master fighter with. I wish sarcasm would win wars, but it doesn't. Screaming, explosions, muzzle flashes, deafening shots, death, anger, shock, and pools of shed blood by young men and women in shredded uniforms now forever silent tend to be the turning points for wars. Sarcasm just helps me survive it. One particular little piece of the war took place on a planet known as Operation New Dawn. Some call it Iraq, but what do they know? Planets get named by the ones who conquer them. Operation New Dawn is a nice-sounding name for a place that would more aptly be labeled Sand Hopelessly in Turmoil. Soldiers have shortened it to New Dawn, or O-N-D, but I call it hope. Hope in the midst of hellfire, long days, loneliness, sadness, fear, anger, and face-slapping letters from home. Hope. It's a great name for a place that lives to breed hope in the worst circumstances imaginable. The coffee pot on earth has never looked as good or contained as perfect a cup of coffee as it has from Planet Hope, where it's completely out of reach.